for our reading this morning. It was our scheduled Proverbs reading both for this morning and for last Sunday. We, we skipped it last Sunday because it didn't really fit in with the, the theme of Christmas. Uh, but it's quite providential, I think, that uh, we've had both of those readings today as we think about uh, coming to the end of a year and going into a new year and the call of wisdom uh, to walk as God's people. As we've uh, been seeing already as we've been going through Proverbs, uh, this contrast between wisdom and foolishness is likened to this contrast between a faithful wife and an adulteress or a prostitute. Practicing wisdom is like being a faithful spouse and foolishness is like adultery. A person who won't seek wisdom is like that young man walking the streets at night in a dodgy part of town where he's easily allured and seduced by the prostitute hiding in the shadows. He's tempted by the promise of a clean, sweet-smelling bed and the sensual pleasures that will come from spending the night with another man's wife. When in reality it's a snare. He'll, he'll end up in a strange house that will ultimately be a trap, a trap of death. By contrast, By contrast, the beginning of verse of chapter 8, Lady Wisdom stands out in the open daylight. She's out there in the public places. All the places where someone navigating through a city would need guidance. She's there on the highway. She's there at the crossroads as you approach the city. She's there at the city gates and then she's in the doorways and the windows along the city streets. See, this is an image here of someone who's been in a faraway country and they're being guided safely back to the security of their own home. found a really helpful a paragraph from one of the commentaries on Psalms, oh, sorry, on Proverbs, uh, and I'll read that to you. But the unchaste wife moves covertly at dusk and speaks falsely. Wisdom moves publicly and speaks direct and authoritative truth. Unlike the smooth, seductive, but deceptive speech of the strange woman, Wisdom's is straight and right and true. It's not twisted or crooked. The foreign wife leads her victims to slavery, impoverishment and death. Wisdom's speech leads her followers to kingship, wealth and life. The foreign wife inhabits the earthly and the mundane. Wisdom soars in heaven above space and time. Both rub shoulders in the city and appeal for the love of the uncommitted gullible youth, the unchaste wife, erotically, wisdom, spiritually. 
The house of the unfaithful wife is a death trap. The mansion of wisdom is abundant life. A critical decision to love wisdom before entering the city is urgent to nerve the putty white citizen against the foreign woman. To gain his love, wisdom extols virtues and her rewards. So maybe we should think of starting a new year as being like walking through the gates of a new city. What voices are you going to listen to as you approach the city, as you navigate its as yet unknown streets? Will it be the voice of wisdom or the voice of foolishness? So the call to seek wisdom is clear, but how are we to recognise wisdom? How are we to discern it from foolishness? Because the voices around us calling out for attention are many. Well, biblical wisdom doesn't leave us to our own devices, as if there was some innate capacity within us able to instantly recognise the truth from error. Uh, to not be, as in the words of Ephesians 4.14, to not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what we're faced with every day. All of these voices, and we have to say, well, which one is the voice of wisdom? Which one do I follow? But it's the way of foolishness to consider ourselves wise in and of ourselves, uh, to seek wisdom from any other source, whether it be ourselves or the world, any other source apart from God Himself. Did you hear how in uh, 7 verse 1 to 3 the father calls his son to keep my words, to treasure up and keep my commandments, to keep my teaching. He says they are to be the apple of your eye, to reference to the pupil, so that my words colour the way that you see the world. They are to be bound on your fingers so that they determine all that you do with your hands. They should be written on the tablet of your heart so that they determine what things you set your affections on. Now this is exactly the same kind of language that's used about God's law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you ride. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, contrary to what we're being told all the time, wisdom doesn't look within. It's not listening to our hearts. It's not letting our emotions tell us what's true. Nor is it listening to the 
myriads of voices and ideas that bombard us and trying to work out which one to listen to. True wisdom has a very specific and narrow focus, the Word of God. All of the wisdom books in the Bible tell us that ultimately hearing and obeying God's Word is the foundation for true living. What Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. But God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We need the certainty of God's word because everything else in this world is uncertain. When we were at this point last year, no one knew what 2020 was going to be like. Now some self-proclaimed prophets have claimed that they did predict COVID-19, but if you hear what they say, it reads a bit like the horoscope in the newspaper. You can interpret it however you choose. The fact is no one knew, no human knew what 2020 would be like. And so as we sit here at the end of 2020, we also have no idea of what 2021 will hold for us. We may have some plans based on what we think might happen, but really we have no idea. That's why James, uh, James is the wisdom book of the New Testament. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, you will go to such and such a town and spend a year there or and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boasting you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So we don't know what's going to happen next year, but we do have something that we can know for sure, what God has said and continues to say in his word. That's the one thing that doesn't change from year to year. As we face the unknown of our immediate future, a future that God alone knows and which he rarely chooses to make known to us, we can hold on to his word, which opens up for us the certainty of our long-term future. So wisdom points us to the word of God, to the law of God, but it's not the law of God in isolation. His law should always be read through the lens, through the the glasses of Jesus. It's the law of God that has been fulfilled in Jesus. Early on in the book of James, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. See, there's a call there to the word of God, to the law, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But he's not just saying here, uh, just take a list of rules that God has given and just tick the boxes and follow the rules. Here in verse 25, where he uses this word perfect, he's not speaking of moral purity. This word here means complete or fulfilled. This is the word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished, it is fulfilled. It's the word that the Gospel writers use when they said this happened so that the word of the prophet might be fulfilled, complete, perfected. James here is talking about the law as rightly and fully understood in light of what Jesus has done to fulfil the law. He perfectly obeyed it on our behalf and he gives to us as a gift his perfect righteousness, the righteousness that the law demands. That's why in the next breath he calls it the law of liberty. Because looking at God's commands through the lens of the grace of God in Jesus Christ gives us freedom. If you just take the law on its own and you try to keep it as if your righteousness depends on it, you'll only know condemnation and slavery because you'll never achieve anything even close to true perfect obedience. In this sense, the law condemns, it reveals our sin. To think you can obey the law on your own is foolishness. But to come to it with the eyes of faith, faith in Christ, you'll find that your obedience will be liberating because it will be done out of a renewed heart. It will be done in the power of the Spirit and it will be done in light of the big picture of what the Father is doing in Jesus. Remember when earlier this year we looked at Jesus' teaching from Matthew and we heard his teaching about the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. He went on then to speak about the in-between time, the time that we're in now. As we look back to what he's accomplished in his life, death and resurrection, and as we look forward and wait for his return, here's one of the parables he told. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage place, and the door was shut. 
Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, More Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We saw how Jesus' uh, end of the age parables always involve some kind of division of people into two different groups the sheep and the goats, the good fish and the bad fish, the faithful and unfaithful servants, those who accept the wedding invitation and those who don't. And here it's the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. Each of those parables is a different way of describing the fruit of those who have repented and believed the announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God that's come in Jesus or of those who have rejected the gospel. And I think, as we saw when we looked at this passage earlier in the year, Jesus is being deliberate here in talking about wisdom and foolishness by telling the story about two types of women. He's drawing on that same contrast that we saw in Proverbs. So in this parable, the fruit of the Gospel is wisdom, living wisely. For the bridesmaids, wisdom looked like something as simple as bringing extra flasks of oil because they understood both their setting and their roles. Remember, in biblical times, weddings didn't happen according to a precise schedule like we have today. The father of the groom would decide the day of the wedding and will often only announce it last minute. Not even the son would know the day or the hour because he was happy to leave all of that in the hands of the Father. Even when it was announced that this is the day of the wedding, the exact timing of when the groom would come to collect his bride from her family's home would be unknown. So the bride, with the help of her bridesmaids, would have to be ready in advance. The bridesmaids would be there with her, they would wait with her, they would keep a watch out. And as the sun set, they would light their lamps to guide the bridegroom to the house and then to accompany the couple through the streets to the groom's family house for the wedding feast. Wisdom is needed for living in this tension, this unknown nature of the immediate future and the certainty of the long-term future. The wedding feast was certain. It was definitely going to happen when the father determined it. So the bridesmaids had to be ready at any time, at any moment's notice. But they must also be prepared for the event that their waiting may be long. They must have patience and endurance. They must make sure they have extra reserves of oil just in case they need to wait even to midnight. But they must understand not only their setting, how the wedding works, they will also understand their role. 
Like a bridesmaid's, they were there to serve and honour the bride and the groom. So the problem with the foolish bridesmaids wasn't that they were bad at maths and miscalculated how much oil they would need. It was actually that they had no regard for the bride. They were called to care for and to keep her ready for the coming of the groom. But they didn't care. They had no regard for the groom. They were supposed to be ready to welcome him when he arrived and to escort them to the wedding feast. They weren't supposed to be there for themselves. This was an event focused on the bride and the group, the bridegroom. Their inclusion in these wedding festivities was a privilege, not a right. So it was their disregard for the bride and groom that was at the heart of their foolishness. See, the fool in their heart is basically selfish. The fool thinks only of the immediate gratification and fulfilment of their own desires. They make plans that are primarily about their own happiness and their own flourishing. Wisdom, on the other hand, recognises that there's a much bigger story than my own little world. It's a story of happiness and flourishing for the whole community, the whole world. And my happiness and flourishing will come from my inclusion in this bigger story. When, when I realise it's not just about me, but it's about we. So much of the biblical story is about we rather than me. It's the story of people, not just individuals. When it is about individuals, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, it's in light of the promises to bring blessing to the we, to the nation that will come from them, to the nations and the families through them. The, the heroes of the biblical story saw that they had a responsibility to listen to God and obey his word not just for their sakes, but for the sake of their children and their children's children and every generation that was to come. Because they knew that God's promise wasn't just for them, it was for generations to come and for the whole world. Jesus' parable also shows us the importance of wisdom in light of the judgment to come, the return of Jesus. The wisdom of the five wise bridesmaids came from their great embracing of the reality of the wedding feast to come. That was the fruit of the gospel, the sign of the evidence that they had taken the announcement of the wedding feast seriously. They accepted the invitation to participate. They understood the responsibility they had in light of this high calling. So because they knew they would be at the feast, they acted accordingly. Now, their keeping extra oil wasn't what saved them from being shut out of the wedding feast. Our works are not what saves us. Our works are the evidence of our salvation, the fruit that should be expected of anyone who professes to have faith. 
that these foolish bridesmaids call out to be let in. There in verse 11. Lord, Lord, open to us. And their cry, Lord, Lord, it actually echoes those that Jesus spoke of earlier in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 7. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See how these people did many things, many things that appeared to be spiritual and godly, but the things they did were counted as works of lawlessness because they weren't the will of my Father who is in heaven. To do the Father's will, we must first and foremost believe in the one who he sent. The living word, we must hear his word embodied in Christ and receive his word. The Father says to Jesus, This is my Son, my chosen one, listen to him. True faith in Jesus will then issue forth in the kind of works, the, the life that is in line with the Father's will. And it may involve prophesying, it may involve casting out demons. It may also involve us simply leading a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, as Paul describes the community. As believers in Jesus, we're called to wisdom. We're called to, to walk in wisdom by pursuing, by being eager to do what is good, because that's what we've been created for in Christ Jesus, for the works that he's already prepared in advance for us to do. But because we approach the word of God, of the commandments of God with hearts that have been renewed by grace, his commandments will be a delight, not a burden. And the fruitfulness that we see in our lives will actually be an assurance to us that we are children of God. As John says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2. Notice that he doesn't say, by this we will come to know him, but by this we know that we have come to know him. The works don't create the relationship, the works are the fruit of the relationship already established by God. John goes on to say, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. This is such a liberating truth. It sets us free from any uncertainty about whether we'll be good enough to make it. Whether our performance last year was up to scratch or whether we'll be able to maintain the standard in the year ahead. It sets us free to pursue obedience, to want to know what his commandments are and to strive to do them, because as children of the Father, 
Pleasing Him is where our true joy will be found. So the wisdom we need to navigate this year ahead is found in living as people in this in-between time, keeping one eye on the cross and one eye on the wedding feast. We must keep looking back to the cross because that's where our freedom is won. Freedom from sin, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from condemnation and the trap of self-justification. The cross is our freedom to be children of God and to, to walk in the liberty of grace without being enslaved again to legalism and fear. But be, be warned, having that as your foundation will actually make you look like a fool in the eyes of the world. Passage from which Rachel quoted uh, early in the service. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning of the fault. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debate of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. There he's using the, the terminology of the world. He didn't use worldly wisdom. He used what the world says is folly. He threw the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. People around you will observe you making decisions based on. God's wisdom centred on the cross. They'll see you making decisions that are more about God's glory than your own glory. They'll see you making decisions that are more about loving your neighbour than about advancing your own career or your own prosperity. And they'll consider you a fool for not making the most of your life. They'll consider you to be weak by not striving for power, by not being ambitious about your own ultimate happiness. Yet in Christ, we already know power. We already know wisdom. We don't need the recognition or the acclaim of people in the world to be secure because we already have that in Christ from the Father when he raised us up with Christ and seated us in him in heavenly places. We don't need to depend on the wisdom of the world because in Christ we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So keep looking one eye on the cross and keep one eye on the wedding feast. Keep looking forward to that day when we will see Jesus face to face. The certainty of that day is what keeps us moving forward. It's 
what keeps us confident that none of our obedience will be fruitless or pointless. Nothing we do in the name of Jesus and for his glory will be overlooked, will be insignificant in the kingdom of God. That's his promise to us. If we are to do the works that Christ has already prepared for us in advance, then we can be sure that his purpose in us doing those works will be accomplished as he works in us and through us to do his will. So step into this new year with confidence. Confidence that Christ is in you, that Christ is for you, that Christ goes before you and Christ comes behind you, that Christ pours out and fills you with his spirit. And all that you do in this year ahead, do for the glory of God because that is true wisdom.